Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from Brazil, Hungary, Spain, the United States, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead fascist in history from Vichy, France. Going to start out with Brazil. Big news in Brazil is that Jair Bolsonaro is going to testify today, that is February the 22nd, 2024. He's going to testify today to the federal police of Brazil about his involvement in his attempted coup. So like he has been, he's been taken to a police station to talk about the crimes that he's committed, just like any other criminal. Specifically, he and about 25 of his collaborators have been taken to various police stations. A little more than half of them have been taken to police stations in Brasilia, the, the actual headquarters of the federal police, as well as the capital of Brazil itself, as well as the location of Jair Bolsonaro's attempted coup. What they're going to be talking to these police about are a series of documents, recordings, and other pieces of evidence that they along with potential other collaborators, were openly discussing how to suspend the rules of Brazilian elections in order to make sure that Jair Bolsonaro would continue to be the president of Brazil, despite the fact that he lost the second round of the vote to Lula da Silva, the current president of Brazil. Bolsonaro claims that he doesn't have some of the documents that they are demanding that he show, or that he hasn't seen some of the documents that they've said that he's seen, but you know, nobody really believes that, especially because some of these documents were drafted by former members of his cabinet, specifically Anderson Torres, a former Bolsonaro ally, is known to have had a draft of a coup plan. What the police are alleging is that Jair Bolsonaro at least saw this and possibly even helped or planned in its drafting and maybe talked about it with other members of the Brazilian elite specifically right-wingers and generals. Bolsonaro has also attempted to remove his main prosecutor in this process, Alexandre de Moraes, who is a leading justice in Brazil's equivalent of the Supreme Court, but specifically the part of the court that deals with electoral issues. He has been leading this charge to investigate Bolsonaro, and Bolsonaro has been trying to remove him from his position, which has so far failed. Also this week, Hungary has relented and is going to allow Sweden to join NATO. This is an acquiescence from the leader of Hungary, Viktor Orban, who has been pushing against Sweden's entrance and has been, you know, demanding various concessions from the EU and from NATO and indirectly from the United States for his allowing, you know, Sweden and other countries to join the defense pact. In other news related to Moscow... It seems, at least according to the Spanish intelligence services, that the government of Moscow, that is Vladimir Putin, has ordered gunmen to kill a Russian defector in Spain, specifically in the Spanish region of Alicante. This Russian defector had fled to Spain in order to avoid precisely this kind of thing, you know, in order to avoid being murdered by Russian intelligence services. But the Spanish intelligence services claim that, you know, that, that, that this was unsuccessful. Now, Russia has killed defectors in other European countries before. You know, there have been like a bunch of weird poisonings and like radioactive treatments done to people that have killed them. 
But this time they just shot him, apparently, uh, which is fairly brazen, but also, like, fairly obvious. Uh, It's pretty intense. Moving on to the United States, a group of neo-Nazis has marched this week in the capital of Tennessee, that is Nashville. These people are actual Nazis, like they would even say that they're Nazis-type Nazis. You know, these aren't the Proud Boys. This isn't, you know, other groups that are adjacent to fascism or the Nazis. These people are actual neo-Nazis. Specifically, they're members of the Blood Tribe, a pretty traditionalist, straight-down-the-middle neo-Nazi organization that doesn't back away from openly fascist and anti-Semitic rhetoric. You know, these people wear swastika armbands, they dress all in black, right? They're trying to look like neo-Nazis. This differentiates them from a lot of the leaders in the fascist world, especially in the United States, who are trying to distance themselves from the image of the neo-Nazis and instead look more to the examples and symbols of fascism throughout the rest of the world. You know, probably the biggest very much more openly fascist organization in the United States right now, the Patriot Front, they use the Italian fascists as their symbol, not the swastika. Now, these marchers marched on the Tennessee Capitol building, chanting anti-Semitic slogans, etc. The police allowed them to do that, but they eventually left after challenges from protesters. All of them were masked the entire time that they were marching, so as far as I know, we don't know who any of them are. Although, please, I would be happy to be corrected if I'm wrong about that. In further United States news, a poll of several hundred professors, specifically U.S. history professors and people who study U.S. history, have named Donald Trump as the worst president of all time. This poll is part of something called the Presidential Greatness Project, Specifically, 153 professors answered the survey out of the several hundred that were eligible to respond. They named Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and George Washington as the top three presidents, whereas Abraham Lincoln's former vice president, Andrew Johnson, the person who succeeded him after Lincoln's assassination, James Buchanan, the president immediately preceding Lincoln, so preceding the establishment of the Civil War, and Donald Trump as the bottom three. Now, personally, I would quibble about this, you know, like James Buchanan's presidency did in fact result in an actual civil war, whereas Donald Trump's presidency threatened to result in a civil war. Donald Trump is the only president that we know of to have attempted an open coup against the government of the United States, so maybe that makes him in competition with Buchanan. I think it's a little complicated, right, you know, considering that his coup failed, and he didn't really have to do a bunch of other illegal stuff in order to get what he wanted done. Probably this is recency bias, you know, like, I don't really think that Joe Biden is like the 14th best president in the history of the United States, which is about where they ranked him. Although again, that is kind of like straight down the middle, you know, that's, 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 that might be pretty fair. I don't know. The point is that Donald Trump's legacy is currently that he is the worst president in United States history. However, one of the major parties in the United States is moving very quickly to nominate him as their candidate in 2024. Before I talk about that, however, I want to get to one more thing that happened in the United States. Specifically, the Alabama Supreme Court has ruled that embryos, that is, fertilized eggs, are human beings according to the laws of the state of Alabama. 
This means that arguably any fertilized embryo anywhere in the state of Alabama is a human being, which could open up people who experience miscarriages to charges of manslaughter very conceivably. This means that anybody who is pregnant in Alabama is in serious legal danger. This is clearly reflected by the fact that many hospitals in Alabama, including some of Alabama's biggest hospitals, have already ceased IVF treatments, that is, in vitro fertilization. In vitro fertilization is a process by which eggs and sperm are collected outside of the body and then artificially inseminated, right? Artificially fertilized and then frozen for later use in attempted pregnancies. These are especially important for people who have had difficult getting pregnant or people who are queer and need a sperm donor in order to be pregnant. IVF treatments involve the production of large numbers of fertilized embryos, which means that if any of those fertilizations were to later fail, you know, say they failed to freeze or they were lost because of some other medical mishap or anything, that these hospitals are concerned that they could be legally liable for murder or at least manslaughter. So they want to get out of the business. Uh, this is the only logical conclusion of the United States' attempt to criminalize abortion, that people who have gotten abortions, that people who have participated in funding abortions, even people who have participated in certain kinds of contraception, specifically Plan B, or people who have participated in IVF treatments or other fertility treatments, that these people might be criminally prosecuted. Moving on to CPAC, CPAC is the biggest gathering of conservative and right-wing people in the United States. It's headlined by Donald Trump, and it's happening right now from Wednesday to this weekend. It's happening in the D.C. area, and the speakers are a who's who of the current leaders of the right wing in the United States and internationally. Like I said, Donald Trump will be headlining this conference because he is the shoe-in for the Republican nomination. Various other Trump former opponents in primaries, including Vivek Ramaswamy, are going to be speaking. That means that Trump might be picking him as his vice presidential candidate, although if Trump doesn't pick a woman, I would be very surprised. Other leading right-wing political figures in the United States are speaking, such as Jim Jordan, Matt Gates, J.D. Vance. These people are main go-betweens between Trump and the extreme right of Trump's coalition. Various right-wing intellectuals are speaking, including Steve Bannon, Trump's erstwhile campaign manager and now a sort of leading light in terms of the right-wing in the United States. Also, former Bishop Joseph Strickland, a critic of the current relatively progressive liberal leaning in the Catholic Church, is going to be speaking. They are billing him as Bishop Joseph Strickland, but he was removed from his bishopric by Pope Francis. I guess they're uh, opposing the rulings of the Pope here. Various other party apparatchnik people like Sebastian Gorka are speaking. But they're also having a lot of international people on the right wing speak, specifically Nigel Farage, the former leader of the Brexit party and the person maybe responsible for the United Kingdom exiting the EU. Liz Truss, the former prime minister of the United Kingdom, the shortest serving prime minister in the history of the United Kingdom, who's trying to rebrand herself as a successful right wing reactionary. Also Nayib Bukele, the president of El Salvador, and the president of Argentina, Javier Millet, are also going to be speaking. These two are leading Latin American right-wing ultra-liberals, like people who are almost anarcho-capitalists, 
Bukele, recall, tried to create a state funded and founded on Bitcoin prior to the collapse of the crypto market. Also speaking is Santiago Abascal, the leader of Spain's Vox Party, the biggest right-wing extremist party in Spain, and one of the main leaders of the knitting together of the international right, especially in the Spanish-speaking world. Now, this conference is big and scary, and it's got a bunch of people speaking at it, but it seems like it's not particularly well attended right now. It did just start, but images are showing that the seats aren't currently being full. This could mark a turn in how the conference is going, or it could just be the fact that I'm recording this on Thursday morning and the conference has basically just gotten started. I'm going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week I'm talking about Jacques Doudreau, uh, a French collaborator and fascist. Because of my not particularly great French pronunciation, I'm going to call him Jacques. He was born in 1898 in northern France. His family then moved to Paris, where he worked various working-class jobs. He became a socialist and a pretty intransigent leftist. He was drafted during World War I. He was eventually held as a POW by the Germans. And upon his return to France in 1919-1920, he joined the Communist Party. He became one of the leaders of the youth wing of the Communist Party, eventually rose up in the ranks of the Communist Party of France to join the Comintern, which was at the time the sort of umbrella legislative body of various communist parties in Europe, headed by the Bolshevik Party in the Soviet Union. Specifically, he ended up leading the French Youth League of the French Communist Party. He was an extremely successful activist. He was elected to the legislature for the lower house of the French government after World War I. He was also made mayor of his hometown back in northern France. However, he was eventually expelled from the Communist Party for calling for a popular front a little bit too early. A popular front is a collaboration between the leaders of the extreme left and the sort of center and sort of, you know, moderate left to combat fascism. This would eventually become the official position of the Communist Party, not just in France, but also in the Soviet Union. But unfortunately for him, Dordreau supported this a little bit too early. After he was expelled from the Communist Party, he eventually became a fascist of his own flavor and founded the French Popular Party. He desperately wanted the Nazis to invade and wanted to work with them if they did, which is exactly what happened. When the Germans invaded France, he was forced to fight against them temporarily. Having been a soldier, he was conscripted. But then when the Nazis won and occupied northern France, the part of France he was from, he heartily supported them and wanted German occupation. He eventually joined the National Vichy Council, the leading body of the collaborationist Vichy regime in southern France, but was ultimately dissatisfied with them because he thought that they weren't fascist enough. So he founded a French voluntary legion of fascists to work with the Germans to fight against the Bolsheviks, his erstwhile allies. He and these French collaborators went to fight on the Eastern Front, which is where he was fighting until France was invaded by the United Kingdom and the United States and liberated from Nazi occupation. After this, he and the other French collaborators retreated into Germany with their former allies and tried to be involved in the Vichy government in exile, hoping that the Germans might be able to retake France eventually. This was ultimately a failure, and he died in an Allied air raid in Germany this day in history, the 22nd of February, 1945. So, Jacques Doreau, we will see you in hell.
That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. Check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, uh, 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at Hist of the Right, that's H-I-S-T of the Right, and Fascism15. And I'm on Blue Sky at 15-M-I-N-S-O-F-F-A-S-C, 15 Mins of Fash. Thanks very much, and I will talk to you next week.